Hey, hey, I'm Michael and welcome to The Good People Effect. They say to grow, you must first surround yourself with the right people. Well, not everyone has access to the right people right now. So The Good People Effect is a podcast that surrounds you with these awesome humans to help you grow as a person. So ignite your sense of purpose, explore your inner creativity, follow that adventurous spirit and get motivated to start becoming the best version of you through a regular dose of The Good People Effect. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 11 of The Good People Effect. It feels really good to have you here and it feels great to have Dr. Craig Hassett in the house. Really appreciate his time. This episode is really short and sweet, but I'll tell you what, there's some really good nuggets of information around health, uh, around mindfulness and around how to manage stress. So uh, this episode is really good for people that might find themselves a little too stressed out at times and and want to know how the, how to become a bit healthier. Craig's got some really, really good insights on, into how to do that. So he's written a host of books, uh, New Frontiers in Medicine, Know Thyself, The Essence of Health, General Practice, Mindfulness for Life, Mindful Learning, Playing the Genetic Hand Life Dealt You, The Mindful Home, and many more. Craig's an awesome person, and he's actually been instrumental in introducing a variety of innovations into medical education and practice in Australia. Uh, he is the senior lecturer at the Department of General Practice where he's been teaching both undergraduate and postgraduate levels for quite some time, since 1989, so he knows his stuff. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Craig Hassett. So thanks for joining me today, Craig. Uh, I guess we've, we've had a couple of technical difficulties early <laughs> on, but we've managed to work through it with the help of Google. Yes, you managed them very mindfully. <laughs> Thank you. Let's just jump, jump straight into it. What is mindfulness meditation and how did you get into it? Well, firstly, mindfulness is um, both a form of meditation, but it's also a way of living. So to be mindful means to be more present, to be more open, um, more accepting of the present moment. Um, so really engaged, um, Sometimes concentration focused on the task we're doing. Sometimes the attention's open and very wide with the context of what's going on around us. So you train that during meditation, mm -hmm. moving attention through the body and the breath. So you, you're actually literally cha uh, training the attention centers in your brain. But uh, to be mindful really matters, you know, in terms of what you do when you get out of the chair after meditation. So to be present and engaged. You know, like an athlete, for example, might practice mindfulness meditation um, you know before the match um, but to be mindful while playing the match means to have your eye on the ball to be present and not catastrophizing about the future will we win or lose or going over the past oh I made a bad mistake oh that's terrible so to be present um, is really what it means to be mindful and I got into it because um, well in my teenage years when I was a student I noticed that I could worry a lot about how I was going to go at the end of the year and um, and uh, it got me stressed and distracted when I was trying to study and I thought that doesn't make much sense. I, th I should just practice being present and let the end of the year come at the end of the year but focus on what I need to focus on now. And so intuitively I started to practice what I would now call mindfulness and um, you know, it helped me a lot to, um, to do better at school and, uh, and then it was, I could tell that it had a good effect on the body you know, when I was more present and less stressed. And, um, and so when I became a doctor, I, I sort of thought this has got to be good for patients. And, um, and so that's when I started to explore <coughs> how to um, 
apply it in practice and how to teach other doctors about it. How did you, how did you explore that? Um, well, in the first instance, uh, I um, uh, started at Monash University in 1989 with a view of how to introduce this into medical training. And, um, uh, and there wasn't much of a template for it, but I, I sort of came to the conclusion if you're going to teach in a scientific and academic discipline, then you've got to focus on the science and the evidence. So I started to look, at a, look around at what was in that sort of um, area at the time, and there was a fair bit, but there's a lot more now. And so it's really to start with the science and the evidence and then to try and make it a practical thing um, in a way that matters. So how to help a, a doctor to listen better to their patients, how to help the doctor to focus more when they're doing a complex procedure, um, how to help a medical student to you know, stay present and focused on their studies, um, so they manage exam anxiety and so on. So it was really around those kinds of things and how to help doctors to um, help patients with stress and anxiety without having to go to the script pad and write out a script for sedatives. Yeah, so. yeah. So I've, I've heard some of your talks on the effects of mindfulness on the human stress response. Mm. I was wondering if you could talk through, through some of that and, and through some of the the natural kind of way we respond to stress mm. and um, how our body changes when that happens. Yeah, well, you see, I don't know if anybody is, uh, your listeners have seen the footage of Mick Fanning, for example. Uh, the shark? Yeah, with the shark. Mm. And um, he said in the press conference straight after that that he just went into fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And we have this sort of, if you like, call it a turbocharge of energy at times when we really need it. So the body goes into a different gear and all the changes, the heartbeat and <clears throat> the blood going from the skin to the muscles and metabolic effects of sugars and fats pumping into your bloodstream, your blood getting thick and sticky and ready to clot faster than usual, breathing fast to get oxygen on board. All of these changes are not an anxiety response. It is activation. And we'll be faster and stronger and have more endurance than we normally have for a short period of time. So there are certain situations where we really need that response. It's entirely appropriate and it's based on being mindful of what's actually happening in the present moment. The unfortunate thing is that when we're not mindful, like worrying about the future or reliving something from the past, is that we activate exactly the same response, but it might have no rhyme or reason to be there. So we're lying in bed at three in the morning worrying about how much work we've got to do before the end of the week, the end of the year, and um, we're in a situation that's about as comfortable as life can get, you know, lying on a soft mattress with our head on a soft pillow under a warm blanket or a doona, and, um, and yet we're getting stressed over stuff that's going on in our head. Mm. And that is not a turbocharge of energy. We've got other names for it, like anxiety. So you've said that that, uh, I believe, builds up over time mm. uh, and, and there's negative health mm. effects on the body. Yeah. <clears throat> so... <coughs> so there's a term given to the long-term activation of this response and it's called um, allostatic load, mm -hmm. uh, physiological wear and tear. It'd be like getting a car and flogging the car by hammering it the whole time. And um, what happens with our body is the parts wear out fast and repair bills go up. That is, you've got a lot of time when you need to see doctors. So our immunity doesn't work well. We harden the arteries faster. It, we even um, age the brain. So the brain ages faster because of these stress chemicals day in, day out. 
and even down to the DNA of our cells. So we age faster as measured by telomeres. So I could go on with it, but it's really the stuff of fast aging, chronic illness. Yeah. Now the good thing about it is um, that these are all reversible effects, but we have to learn how to switch off the inappropriate activation of that response. And uh, the best no way I know to do that is to be mindful, to come back to present moment reality. So if someone is under stress for whatever reason, thinking mm. about the past or um, thinking about the future in a negative way, how do they become mindful all of a sudden? And how do they kind of, I guess, um, reverse those negative effects of stress? Well, the, the senses are always a gateway back to the present moment. So what does that mean during mindfulness meditation? You bring your attention back to the sense of touch, for example, like moving attention through the body, um, feeling each part of the body, or the breath, just coming back to being in touch with the breath. So when we get back in touch, the mind switches out of thinking and worrying mode and it comes back into a more sort of present moment oriented state. In our day-to-day -day life, we might be at work and working towards a really tight deadline um, and the mind's flipping off into, what if I don't meet this deadline? What's everybody gonna say? Oh, this is terrible. Why am I working here? You know, and everything else. And to notice, oh, what a sec, we're in worry and rumination mode, mm -hmm. to engage your attention back with the sensory input. That is to look at what's on the page in front of you, mm -hmm. to feel the body just sitting in the chair. If you're at a meeting, to come back and just listen to what the person's saying instead of listening to the internal dialogue that's running through our heads. Yeah, because that internal dialogue can sometimes make things seem a lot worse than they actually are in reality. Yeah. Problems usually aren't as big as they seem to us in our heads in that moment. That's right. Yeah. And w there's a, a term given for that in the scientific literature called default mode. Mm -hmm. So we go into default mode. So all sorts of things like worry and rumination and negative self-talk and self-criticism, this sort of distracted kind of internal dialogue and thinking is called default mode. And there's a lot of it in states like anxiety and depression and so on. And mindfulness, when we're more mindful, that is we re-engage, re-ground the attention back through the sensory input to what's happening here and now, it switches off the default circuits. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's literally what's meant by the term coming to our senses. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, because um, you know, because all <laughs> of a sudden we're in a more grounded, connected, rational state of mind and then we make better decisions, we respond better, we're more efficient and effective. And we have other names for it like focus and you know, on task and etc. But it's really this state of being engage with what needs our attention mm -hmm. and not distracted by a whole lot of stuff that's not really helping. Mm -hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you uh, one really quick question, Craig. Um, I, I'm really fascinated about the body-brain connection. Mm -hmm. And I recently read a book called Zen and the Art of Happiness mm -hmm. uh, by Chris Prentice. And I discovered that if you feel depressed for an hour, you actually create, he said, 18 billion new cells that have more receptors calling out for those depressed type peptides. And although I don't know exactly what all that means, it seemed to me that the more kind of um, you, you allow yourself to be into like a negative depressive state, uh, the more your body calls for that um, mm -hmm. and how it has a, uh, actually has a physical effect on, on your health and, and a physical effect on you. Just, just from the way you feel? Or do you know anything about how that works? Well, I'm not sure the particular piece of research that he's quoting there, but yes, our mental and emotional state has a profound effect on our physical health. So I mentioned before about the body and the brain aging faster yeah. and so on. We, we literally, every time we get reactive to stress and so on, we, we have 
uh, it has effects on our genes, so it changes the way our genes express themselves. So that's what's called epigenetics. So, um, so when we get very reactive to stress, we, we, if you like, turn up the volume on the stress genes, and um, and that has effects on the receptors of stress hormones and mood hormones and so on in the brain. Mm. We make the amygdala, that's the brain stress center, bigger and more reactive. Um, it has effects on our cardiovascular system, so poor mental health associated with a much greater risk of um, cardiovascular disease, with immune problems, you know, like more inflammation and less defense, so yeah, against infections, etc. So it's, it's really the stuff of chronic illness, or if we have a chronic illness, it'll make it um, progress more quickly and, and worse. Now, the, the really positive thing is, because most of your listeners are probably stressed and depressed by the, this stage of the interview, thinking of all <laughs> those bad things I'm telling, but um, they're all reversible effects. Yeah. And so the research on mindfulness, and there were close to 700 uh, new papers in peer-reviewed scientific journals last year alone, um, but it shows that it stimulates new brain cell growth in the brain in a healthy way, quietens down the stress centers, it quietens down the stress genes, um, it uh, has an anti-inflammatory effect and switches on healthy immunity, switches on telomerase, which slows down the rate of aging as measured by telomeres and so on. Yeah. It's the opposite effect. Yeah, so there's so many good, good health benefits from being mindful. Yeah, that's right. So the, the body has incredible capacities for regeneration and repair but we have to work with it, not against it. Mm -hmm. And so we create, if you like, a lot of, let's say um, uh, the body, <laughs> nature's sort of playing beautiful music as it were, yeah. but with our stress and distraction, we create a kind of static and distortion in the system. And so if you like, mindfulness helps to remove that static and distortion and just allow that sort of harmony, as it were, to sort of um, make itself obvious again. Mm -hmm. But if the body didn't have its own innate uh, ability for repair and regeneration, we wouldn't survive the day, let alone, you know, the average life expectancy of 80 years these days. Yeah. So we've discussed, I guess, stress management, and that's only one of the pillars of good health. And mm -hmm. I know that um, you've got that book out, The Essence of Health, recently, mm -hmm. and you did that speech where, where we actually met. I know we're a bit pressed for time, but we could mm -hmm. touch on briefly um, some of the other pillars of good health so that people could uh, you know, get, get an idea of how they could improve their health in maybe um, some simple ways. Yeah, well, look, the, the mind is the central thing because that has direct effects on their body, but it also determines whether or not we exercise or eat well, etc. Mm -hmm. So getting the mind right is a pretty good place to start. Mm -hmm. But the essence of health, that's an acronym um, that I used to teach medical students and doctors about lifestyle medicine, but it starts for education. And that's really being educated about ourselves, understanding our own minds and motivation better so we can make better choices. So education, uh, S for stress management, so that's the mindfulness mind-body area. Mind you, you could put sleep in there as well because that's very important for our mental health as well. Mm -hmm. So S for stress management, spirituality. So where do we find meaning? Where do we find purpose in our lives, in our work, and etc. so spirituality. Exercise. Uh, so physical activity and nutrition, uh, the importance of healthy food, whole food, etc. Uh, C for connectedness, so that's our um, relationships and social support, and uh, E for environment, mm -hmm. so a healthy environment. Not just the healthy air and water and so on, which is really important, um, but also the social environment, 
the work environment. So environment's a very broad concept that includes a lot of things, mm-hmm. not just the, uh, the physical kind of environment and the way we usually think of it. But that spells essence, so that's the essence of health. And so to sort of look at improving all of those areas will reduce our risk of getting chronic illness, but also if we've got a chronic illness, um, from a therapeutic point of view, to look at, well, what are the areas, you know, in each of those um, aspects that I need to really look at. So if I was an unhealthy person, for example, yeah. Craig, looking at all those areas at once might be a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Could you suggest maybe some things to start for people that want to improve but don't know where to begin? Well, a couple of good places to start is, uh, firstly, to um, um, practice the mindfulness yeah. thing first. Uh, to manage our stress. So through, through meditation and through yeah. being present in the moment? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it helps if we're in a group, you know, rather than doing this by ourselves. Sure. It's tough to do it by ourselves. So mm-hmm. the, the sort of connectedness and social support. So if we're with a group or doing a course where people are making similar efforts, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So if we can get those two things in place first, and then we can start to look at making small but consistent changes in the other areas. Mm-hmm. If we try and go from a terrible diet to a completely you know, good diet, maybe we're so desperate, we've got such a terrible situation, we'll make major changes all of a sudden and you know, away we go. But for many people it's quite tricky, but if we make small changes and establish them, you know, start doing a little bit of physical activity on a regular basis, mm-hmm. um, you know, replacing an unhealthy food for a healthy food, you know, couple of times a day yeah um, if we um, start to sort of you know make a, an effort to sort of think well what's what's meaningful for me in my life and so on we, we can sort of build it up over time and um, small steps will you know cover a lot of ground if we're just consistent with it and um, and so when we put all of that together mind body based healthy lifestyle program well even if a person's already got advanced heart disease, research shows that that can help it turn it around there's you know the Ornish program is one study or series of studies that's looked at that so even people with early cancer if they you know men with early prostate cancer they found that it turned that around mm-hmm. uh, they started to regrow telomeres um, which is like the genetic equivalent of reversed aging you know so when they followed them up over a number of years um, type 2 diabetes starts to turn itself around so you know, even, even when a chronic illness is well underway, if we do the right kind of stuff and get the right kind of support, um, and uh, then we can actually make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I guess, <laughs> the path to a happier, healthier life. Yeah. I've noticed that I've become a lot happier when I've implemented, I guess, um, parts of the essence of health. I've been running these, these months, so I, mm. I used to be quite unhealthy. I used to smoke, drink a lot, eat mm. a lot of um, rubbish, and then I slowly started to change that around. And now I'm actually doing these months where for four weeks straight, I'll try to be as healthy as I can. Mm. So do heaps of yoga, heaps mm. of exercise, do a lot of meditation, and eat, eat quite healthily and mm. don't have any alcohol and anything like that. Um, no meat at all either mm. for those months. And I feel like I've kind of reached within those months, I, I, I reach a point where I, like I've, I felt like I never felt like that way before yeah i feel really really good energetic and like kind of like i'm in my prime yeah and then afterwards i kind of let loose a little bit uh, and then i i remember how i felt and it makes me it gives me motivation to mm. to strive towards that again yeah that's the that's the um surprising thing many people think oh well 
I should lead a healthy life and yeah. as if it's going to be a life of misery and so on. And, and making healthy change is quite difficult yeah. actually. It's, and it's, it's, not, it's not that kind of like you're reprogramming your mind and you're, yeah. and you're, and you're making certain decisions, yeah. um, small ones, but they add up to yeah. you know, a bit of momentum. Yeah, so f- just in the first bit it's quite difficult and we might sort of feel like quality of life goes back a little bit. But once the, the benefits of doing it start to kick in, uh, then the quality of life goes up enormously yeah and so um uh, and that's one of the things people think oh well it's going to be a life of misery but if you make healthy changes mm-hmm. once your brain and behavior sort of starts to reprogram itself yeah and then the other benefits kick in you sort of you tend to get pretty thankful that um you made those changes and i, I do agree that it all kind of stems from mindfulness mm-hmm. in a way like once you're mindful you can kind of be more aware of, of kind of what you're mm-hmm. going what you're putting yourself through sometimes um have you ever have you tried any of those flotation tanks? They're really cool, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> kind of, I, I guess they kind of um, help you if it's not as easy to meditate because you do, all your senses have been taken away and you're just mm. floating there. You can't smell anything, you can't hear anything, you can't feel anything. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it makes it easier. It's one of the prime kind of distractors in many ways. But um, yeah, uh, no, but I haven't personally, no. I tend to be very low tech. Yeah. S- sit in a chair and... Keep it, <laughs> keep it simple. There's some, yes. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and um, you know, and if, if things help for a person, then well and good. But the, the thing ultimately is you want to be very versatile. Sure. You know, so you could practice in a flotation tank, you could pl- practice with your, you know, with your, a particular app, you know, using yeah. an app or whatever. But you want to be able to practice anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. So you want to be kind of independent ultimately. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's good to use those things, but it's also good to be able to um, to practice without them. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I know this is another question I've just thrown in, but I am curious. I know you've had the opportunity to meet the Dalai Lama. Mm. Uh, what was that experience like for you, Matt? Put this. You're an expert on mindfulness. <laughs> what was it like to meet someone like that? Well, yes, I was invited um, a few years ago uh, when they invited the Dalai Lama to um, be the keynote speaker at the Happiness and Its Causes conference in mm-hmm. Sydney at the Convention Centre. And I'd spoken at the, that conference the previous year and I was asked to, um, you know, to present at that conference, to chair one of the days, and that meant introducing the Dalai Lama and welcoming him to the stage and so on. And uh, so it was a really great honour to be invited to do that. And um, so, I mean, I can't say, oh, yes, we had a private conversation for uh, half an hour or an hour or anything like that. Um, you know, it's, it was, you know, thousands of people in the room, sure. television cameras going and everything yeah. else like that. So I was doing my best to be mindful and uh, <laughs> speaking until I got the nod that the Dalai Lama was there, but welcoming him to the stage. <coughs> and the thing, I, the sense I had... Um, uh, and from watching him, he's just very natural with himself. He's very uh, unselfconscious. Mm-hmm. You get a sense he's not thinking about himself, but he, himself, but he's just really open to who and what's going on around him. And um, and uh, so just very, uh, very peaceful, very warm, very um, open. You know, just this real sense of, um, uh, you know heartfulness uh, kind of warmth when you know greeted him and and uh, and so on and then um, yeah and uh, to thank him at the end so it was really quite an honor um, to be invited to do that yeah, yeah it sounds like it would have been quite an experience 
Yes, it was. <laughs> and in a very public kind of way as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Might have been nice to have just been sitting in the side room and just have a conversation for a while, but um, yeah. such as it was. But, um, you know, you get a sense that there's a man who's very much at peace with himself and at peace with the world. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's about it for today, Craig. Thanks, Thanks for your Michael. time. Um, if, you wanna, if people want to learn more about your teachings and, and find out a bit more about the essence of health, where can they go um, and can you kind of point them in yeah. a certain direction? Um, well, The Essence of Health, um, read that. It's um, uh, published by Random House or yeah. Mindfulness for Life or Mindful Learning, uh, yeah. two of the books I, I um, have done with Exile Publishing. Sure. Um, there's also, if people are interested, um, a free online mindfulness course with um, Future Learn mm-hmm. uh, that I've developed with um, colleagues at um, Monash University. And um, so that's mindfulness for well-being and peak performance, and that goes live three times a year. Okay. So um, I'll have some links in show yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. So that would be um, useful. And then the probably the two best mindfulness apps in the world are Headspace and Smiling Mind. Okay. And um, Smiling Mind's based in Melbourne, and uh, Headspace from overseas. But it's um, yeah, two very good apps. I guess it's a good way to help you out if you're struggling or just to start yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that. They're probably the two best quality um, apps, uh, mindfulness apps in the world. Awesome. I haven't actually tried them out yet, so I might might check them out myself. Mm. Cool. Thanks again, Craig. And um, thanks, Michael. Been a pleasure. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you for checking out episode 11 of the Good People Effect with Dr. Craig Hassett in the house. I really enjoyed that chat with Craig. He really, really shared some interesting knowledge, um, and you could tell he's he's really experienced and he really knows what he's talking about. So. Um, I'm going to put a few things that he's mentioned into practice and I really think you should as well. Um, can only help. So I've got to throw up all the links about everything we've spoken about onto the website, including the essence of health. So if you want to find out more about Craig's book, jump onto the goodpeopleeffect.com and check it out. Uh, I'm also starting a YouTube channel, uh, but I'm going to give you a bit more about that in the next episode which is actually going to be with a Buddhist monk that I filmed. I went out to a meditation center, a uh, beautiful place, and I met with this Buddhist monk, and we had a, an interesting, uh, a really eye-opening chat, a mind-opening chat about life. Um, and there's, uh, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to say any more, any, more, any more about it. You're just going to have to wait and see. Please check that out. The next episode, episode 12 of The Good People Effect, is going to be a ripper. Uh, but until then, take it easy.